when I was teaching, uh, rather than letting the children come up with the group rules, yeah. I, I would spend quite a bit of time talking through what they could do that would help them have friends or help them have no friends was kind of the way I worded it. So it was similar to that process of coming up with group rules, but rather it was these are the things that will make other people want to spend time with you, these are the things that won't. I think to me it was really important because it wasn't just a set of arbitrary rules in the end, it was a, a set of guidelines that had sort of their own inbuilt kind of uh, consequences. Yep. It wasn't as though it needed me to apply them to others, it was something that they could you know, do themselves and, and generalise into the rest of their lives was the way I did it like that. Um, and because they were young children, writing them out word for word wasn't helpful or really an option. So I used to use a series of pictures to represent each one of these behaviours that we'd, as a group, make a decision whether they were things that uh, helped you have friends or no friends. And one of my favourite ever was um, the children used to really like playing a game of vampires. It was just something that was going on that year. So I had to find a picture of a vampire. And, and when we'd have the discussion about whether this was being a vampire was a friend's choice or a no friend's choice, it actually went in the friend's choice. You know, oh, so if, yeah. if someone was coming in to you know just make a guess about the way this thing would work, you'd see the picture of the vampire and go, "Well, that's that's you know that's something you're trying to discourage." But actually, you know, as a group, they decided no. Playing vampires with one another is something that is a is a friend's choice. Yep. The other favourite picture I had was um, stealing hats. You know, so you make them wear hats in summer, and it had become a thing with one group to, um, to to steal a hat from one child and, you know, run off with it and stuff like that. So, again, it was really difficult to find and sort of paste together a couple of different pictures yep. that formed the impression of someone stealing a hat. So it was like a, a picture of a robber wearing, like, the full-on stereotypical <laughs> robber mask. Yep. And I had to put a, like, cut out a picture of a hat to put in their hand <laughs> to be, you know, this is stealing hats. Yep. And I was so proud when I showed it to the group and they all knew, oh, that's stealing hats. So <laughs> yep. I thought I'd made the best picture ever. <laughs> How, how did you go when you were working on this kind of thing? With your, yeah, with look, I mean, I've done a range of things, but I do like what you're saying, you know, teaching the, I suppose, social skills. Mm. You know, I think that's really important. And I think making sure that they maybe understand, you know, what's right and wrong, but also maybe ways, strategies that they can use to actually work some of these problems out, you know, because I know once you get to primary school or later on, this can be a bit of an issue, you know. Um, look, and I do also like the way your pictures, that sounds, you know, quite, I'm sure, hilarious with some of them that you had to go and end up finding. Um, I used to do a range of things, you know. I, I think early on, um, you know, when I was working with you know, issues with kids or maybe with a student that wasn't doing the right thing, you know, it would be maybe a whole class reward system, you know, so I might be, um, you know, there could be a game at the end of the week, we might work up for minutes, it could be um, table rewards. So there were so many things that I tried to look at the positive way of doing things mm -hmm. rather than giving students um, uh rather than having um, detentions or, you know, any of that negative thing. Mm. So I do like teaching them those skills and that looking at it more positively than from yep. a negative standpoint. And that's what we wanted to look at today. I think it's easy to talk about behaviour management as, as a discrete area and almost oversimplify it to talk about, you know, somebody's got good behaviour management skills or, or yep. not, when really I think a, a complete behaviour management strategy is, is the sum total of a, a huge number of little different strategies that ideally have a, 
a through line that makes sense. Yeah. But overall, they are a, a set of different strategies. And one of those common ones is this idea of making a set of class rules sort of with the class, with the children, and sort of as, as a collaborative process yep. rather than just imposing them as a teacher. Um, and I think it's fairly common practice. You know, it happens quite a bit, but it's, it's probably not talked about that widely and analysed as much as yep, it ideally yep. could be. I think it's something that definitely a lot of teachers, you know, maybe do at the start of the year yeah. as those first couple of, you know, days of welcome and how do we want our classroom to look and yeah. what are the rules. Mm. Um, I know at, at my school we called them norms, yeah. you know, but then I find after a while that how often we actually referred back to the, that chart, mm -hmm. it wasn't all that often. Oh, yeah. You know, so once you got down into, you know, term two or term three, mm -hmm. I suppose you'd be trying other strategies. That's, that chart may still be on the wall yeah. and maybe it's not. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to actively go back and look at things, especially when things go wrong, yeah. you know, kind of forget that it was there. So yeah. it's a matter of being proactive and thinking about it and using it to your best of your ability. Yeah. And I think it's because it's something that so many people do um, and so many people have the ability to tweak or improve on yeah. that brings us to our, our big question of this podcast, which is how can setting class rules be most effective? How can we make sure it, it gives us the biggest bang for our buck in a sense of the time we spend doing it? Um, so for the sort of reading that I've looked at this week, and this is a funny one, it's hard to actually find people that um, you know write specifically about this topic. And it's yep. strange because it's such a common bit of practice. Mm. There's very little really good advice around how you might want to use it. Where I ended up looking in the end was, was a book uh, called The Classroom of Choice by Jonathan C. Irwin. Um, and there's a chapter in it, chapter four, is about power in the classroom and creating the environment. Yep. And I really liked this chapter because it goes beyond the idea of this idea of setting class rules, just to the idea of um, student engagement through empowerment, yep. the idea that they have the power, some, some form of power mm, in the classroom. Mm. Um, I, there's a quote in there where he's quoted um, Glasser, and I'll, I'll read this out because I think this is, uh, you know, it changes the way you think about the classroom a little bit. Uh, it says, when I present my ideas to teachers and administrators, I usually interview six junior or senior high school students in front of a large audience. Because for young people, the need for power is very difficult to satisfy. I always ask them, where in school do you feel important? And this question always seems to the students to come from outer space. They just look at me as if I've asked something ridiculous. Mm. However, if I persist, most students tell me that they feel important in their extracurricular activities, so sport, music and drama are frequently yeah. mentioned, and almost never mentioned our academic classes. Wow. And that makes a lot of sense, mm. doesn't it? This yep. idea that, you know, that, and that's where you see students try hardest as well in those extracurricular activities yes. where they feel like they've got and some And they've got power. those skills or expertise in that mm. area, you know, that they would, and that I suppose they probably go away and practice, you know, or their training for mm. that. So I could imagine then that they do feel that power mm. in that, yeah. So wow. he, he talks about a number of different strategies that you can use to you know, help build student empowerment. And he's yep. not on another planet here. He's not talking about, you know, getting rid of curriculum mm. or anything like yep. that. He's yep. just talking about ways that... Students can be, you know, allowed some power over their day in the classroom. And one of those is this idea of, um, you know, coming up with the group rules or group norms. Yep. Um, the, the term he uses is a class constitution. Um, and 
like we've talked about, you know, some of the benefits of doing this kind yep. of thing. I really like he talks here about um, if if a teacher's just giving the rules to the students, um, that it sounds a little bit like in the Peanuts cartoon when adults talk to the children and it goes. You know when that yeah, happens, yeah, you, know, yeah, you can yeah, see yeah, their yeah. eyes sort yeah, of switch off. It, yeah. To me, I always imagined it at that bit from The Simpsons yes, when Homer's yes. um, talking about going to the ballet and he's talking to Marge and he sort of switches off from what Marge is saying and he thinks about a little bear driving around, like a little bear driving a little car <laughs> at the <laughs> circus. That's what I always imagine going on in the kids' heads. I'd, I'd be, you know, talking to them, trying to tell them something, and you'd see that moment that went flick. Yep. <laughs> so to him, so back in the article, that's one of the reasons he, he calls for this idea yes. of, you know, forming it with students. And I think, yeah, students do need to be a part of that discussion, mm. you know, because, yeah, if a teacher just said, right, this is what you do mm. and don't do, yeah, of course they're going to tune out. But being actually part of it and making the rules, yeah. yeah. So he's got a bit of a formula he uses for it, which okay. is quite interesting. It's, yep. Sure. It would be worth. I'd love to see it tried because um, it doesn't fit comfortably with the way I think about these sort of things. Yep. But you know, it's, it's definitely worth a try. So he sort of um, builds a um, um, there's this series of steps where the students start um, talking about they write down the way they want to be treated, and then they sort of create a, they draw like a space where they want to live and they put the sort of behaviours inside that space that they think would be good to have happen, and they put the others outside. And it's very visual, almost mm -hmm. like um, what I was talking about. And then they work in small groups, then sort of as a larger group to develop this sort of, you know, here's where we live, and in this space we have these behaviours. Yep. These other behaviours exist, but they exist outside of the space. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Um, but just that notion of power, I think, yep. is what really yep. struck me. It's the idea that, you know, for most of their school and educational lives, yep. students feel completely powerless. Yep. And and this is one of the opportunities we have to, to help bring them out of that. And it's yeah interesting because as a teacher, I don't necessarily mm. feel like that they don't have power, but mm -hmm. when you listen to the those students being interviewed, mm. like you suggested, suddenly you actually stop and think about mm. it and go, well, maybe, yeah, maybe they don't have as mm. much power as we think. Yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose... Maybe they don't... Yeah, they're feeling disconnected. Mm. I mean, you know, they get... That way, their parents taken to school, dropped off. You know, there's not a lot of control in the no, whole situation no. for, for an average student. Um, I suppose we should introduce our guest. Yes, now, Kate. we should. Um, we've got with us again today Daniel Cohen, who's um, also one of our colleagues here at the TLN. Daniel's got quite a bit of experience in um, working with um, students uh, with behaviour issues. Yep. Um, so that's why we've invited him along today. How are you, Daniel? I'm well. Thank you for having me along again. No worries. Thanks for coming. Um, did you want to talk initially about your experience with behaviour issues? Because as well as being a classroom you mean teacher, as a teacher or well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as well as being a classroom teacher, you, you've had a significant period of time where you worked with students yep. specifically who have behavioural issues. So my teaching experience, I was I trained at uni as a primary and early childhood teacher mm -hmm. uh, because I had to choose two, and it seemed that those flowed on better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked as a primary teacher for most of my teaching, just as a general classroom teacher, uh, mainly with senior primary kids. Mm -hmm. And then I did a couple of years working at a place called the Heidelberg Teaching Unit, which is based at Reservoir High School in Victoria. Uh, it's an alternative setting for students who have significant challenges with their behaviour. And what did that involve? What did, what's so, the typical day there like? Yeah. 
All right, so to, for a student to go to the unit, uh, their regular high school, uh, sorry, I should say, it was younger than school leaving age. Mm-hmm. Um, so mostly year eight and nine kids that yep. we'd work with. Um, for them to go to the unit, the, their regular high school had to uh, make a referral mm-hmm. to the unit. We'd go through an interview process where we actually interviewed the student, uh, the family, and we our relationship with the school. We'd have a discussion about, about that. Um, and then we'd put together a group of, uh, we'd accept kids that we thought we were the right setting for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're teachers. At the, at the time, uh, I can't say now because I haven't been there for a couple of years, um, but we're all teachers and we're not medical professionals. Mm-hmm. So if a child student had a um, diagnosed condition, mm-hmm. the not the ones to deal with that because... Yeah. We don't have that training. Um, So we were coming at it from an educational background and it's these kids have behavioural issues that are being exhibited in school, which is a symptom. We'd work with them about what was going on. There was a large part of the role that crossed over with counselling and with what psychologists would work on, but we weren't coming at it from that side. So we would structure our day like a regular school day, um, but we didn't have the curriculum focus. Yep. Um, we taught the curriculum, but we modified the work significantly to be suitable for them, to allow them to achieve success so that we could then start looking at the behaviours they saw and what was causing those behaviours yep. without having all of the added pressure of... I don't understand the, the, the yep. curriculum as well. So, wow. So, if we go into this idea we're talking about of working um, uh, with, you know, building a, yep. a, a set of class norms together, um, is that something you've done a lot yeah. with your own students? Um, so, at the unit, we get a new group of kids each term. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we certainly went through this process. Yep on a term-by-term term basis, mm-hmm. um, but this is something I did regularly when I was teaching in the primary school as well. Yep. Um, I had to work with my class all day, every day, yep. so managing the behaviour. Um, there's a range of different things I did, but just listening to what you were talking about with the article, mm-hmm. the concern I always had with all the different things I tried was that thing that I get every every time I go to a PD of this is great in this perfect Mm. scenario what do I do with the kids that I've actually got who aren't fitting the perfect thing Mm. so there's lots of ideas that I tried over the years which I'm happy to answer questions about but it was always I need to modify them to suit the group of kids that I'm working with so and what did you think what was the best strategy you ended up coming up with what was your process that we talked about So there's lots of things that I did that didn't work Mm -hmm. well. And I think looking back now, the one thing that I've really um, found useful was making your expectation clear and giving kids choice. Even if it's a pretend choice, Mm. but just choice. So what I mean by pretend choice is, um, and there's a particular student that I worked with who had a range of uh, identified 
challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, he had ODD, ADHD. His family had some significant social issues. Um, so a lot of the strategies that I used were um, with that class at the time because of the range of things that happened. Um, but with the ODD, if I gave him an instruction... Mm-hmm. I'm the authority figure, so he was going to challenge that. So I had to think about how do I get him to do what I want, knowing that if I tell him directly, that's a fight. So it stopped being, I need you to do my work or you'll be in trouble. It's, I want you to complete this sheet using pencil. I don't want you using pen. So he goes, no, I'm going to use pen. And so the fight is then pen or pencil, not will he complete the work? So that's what I mean by pretend choice. Mm. It was irrelevant to me. Um, A friend of mine worked with an ODD um, student as well in senior secondary, and she was was a drama teacher. She was saying the the child turned up at the door, and she's like, you know what? I don't even have time for you today. Don't even come in. And so into the room he walks, and she goes, yes, got him inside. And so it's that making it seem like yeah. yeah the kids are making a choice but you you're driving them towards what you want and would you say that was part of your process in creating a group of class norms or class rules um so not with the class that's how i approached it in my work mm-hmm. i being in a mainstream primary school we'd sit down at the start of the year and talk about school rules mm-hmm. And whether you call it school rules or guidelines or constitution or whatever Mm. you want to call it, it's a set of class rules. And I'd talk through that with the kids and we'd have a really honest conversation about here are the things that we have to put in because this is a school and the school has rules. So you're not going to just wander off whenever you feel like it. I'd love to let you, but I can't. So here are the mandatory things. Now let's talk about what things you think are appropriate. And it came out to be the standard put up your yes. hand when you want to talk. And, yep. you know. and it's funny, they know what the standard stuff should be at the start of the year, but then they can't always do it or, you know, they always, you know, like it's no running and you see them running, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. And it's funny, they know that those are the rules, but they can't necessarily follow them. It's yes. quite interesting. That's what's always fascinated me about this bit of practice, this idea that we create the rules with the students, is that I think a lot of them... Uh, have switched on to the process, right? Yeah. Okay, he wants me to say no running. Yes. We'll say that, we'll get this out of the way, and then we'll be able to do something else. Yep. And until I've said no running, we don't get to move on. So it's not actually a genuine discussion yes. where you've given students power. It's, it's just what they a, want to hear. a facade yes. that we've all come to go through. Because, I mean, you talked about... Um, the, the the false choice, Daniel. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I, I did it too. So, um, I, you know, so on the surface, I would say here are a group of behaviours. Some of these are friends' choices. Some of these are no friends' choices. Okay, this one is punching other people in the face. Is that something you do to have friends or something you do not to have friends? And mm. I would pretend like I was asking it genuinely, but I knew that everyone knows where yes, that's going to yes, land, right? Yes. Like, and, oh, no friends... You know, and I pretend like, oh, okay, we'll put it there then. But, you know. But you'll say something like, good choice, well done. I think you got the right answer well, there. And I, I didn't even do yeah. that, but everyone knows where that was yeah. going to land. I mean, mm. the vampire one was sort of an yeah. outlier in the sense yeah. that you wouldn't expect that to go where it went. But the rest of it all went where it went. And I often wonder 
whether this is a process that's really worth the effort yes. that we put into so it. I think the other part of what I was saying, mm -hmm. expectation is what comes in then. Yeah. Sitting down and saying, here are my rules, mm -hmm. is a very authoritarian yep. thing. Yep. But the reason the kids know what answers to mm -hmm. give is because they know what that expectation is. So yep. when I, after a few years, mm -hmm. um, when I sat down to do it, I don't think I called it school rule, yep. uh, classroom rules. Yep. I said, right, what do we need to do to make sure that we can all function mm -hmm. in yep. this room? Yep. And so then our focus was on expectation, which means as you were saying, Kate, when they forget that's what they're yes. supposed to do, it's not, oh, you're breaking a rule. It's, oh, I'm expecting that it should go this way to function because then it leaves you room to say, oh, we're doing a noisy activity. It's appropriate for you to call out and move around the room. Yes. You're not breaking a rule by getting up and walking off now. It's what is expected. And I think that um, creates more of a scenario where students can actually say, mm. in this situation, mm. this is what's appropriate for us to achieve our goals or learning mm. intention or whatever it is. I think you're right. There's a matter of degree here. Mm. But the running one, right, for example, if you were to run that process in a really genuine way yeah. and the student said to you, no, we want to be allowed to run inside, so now our expectation is, Kate, that you'll put the furniture sort of over near the walls most yes. of the time so that when we run, it's not dangerous. I don't think there'll be a lot of teachers going through this process who go, yeah, that's fair enough. Mm. We'll, we'll, we'll change the entire layout of the classroom so that you can be allowed to run inside because as a group you've decided you want to be able to run inside. I, I don't think that happens a lot. No, no. I think yeah. that's what I was saying about there are some rules I, as a teacher, still have to enforce. Mm. So... No, we can't just have you all running around with scissors mm. if you all agree that's something. Mm. But here is the space in which you can yes. have some freedom. Yes, yes. So there might again, be that one. Degrees. There might be that one maths lesson where they have to run up and down to time themselves, and yeah. then you're yeah. going to put on a spreadsheet. Well, then running's okay for that yeah. session, but just making sure that yeah, you're right that that expectation is clear. It is for now, but it's not for tomorrow. Yeah. But if, if, if power is what we're thinking about and how do we give power back, yep. then asking a group of students to come up with a list of rules that really is predetermined yep. in your own head mm. is no power. No. Yeah, to, I to agree. To genuinely say, yeah, I'll change my entire classroom layout because you've asked for something different for the entire mm. year and I'm prepared mm. to accommodate that, that's power. Yeah, and, and that's the authoritarian thing. So mm. that comes to how do you as a teacher actually function mm. in your role? Yep. Are you prepared to let students have this mm. much say Absolutely, or yeah. are you no this is my room i am in control and be able to acknowledge that that's where your line is yeah. um i think the other thing that's relevant is one of the activities that um, i've done in some of the stuff that i've done from the unit um, was around students who need we called it a behavior management plan but mm -hmm. it's not a formal document like yeah. some teachers know yeah. um, it was something the reason the kids we worked with were often getting in trouble is because things would escalate and they didn't know how to stop themselves from getting into an inappropriate situation mm -hmm. where yep. they're disrupting everything. Yep. So there needed to be something to break the circuit yep. 
So we worked with the students and said, you need a BMP, a behaviour management plan. Mm -hmm. And it had to have three things, an action, a time limit and a location. So we went through this activity, which I've done in other PDs that are available through the TLN, where they'd make a list of things that get them upset and all those things like tapping the pencil, things that escalate. Yep. They'd make a list of things that calm themselves down or other people do to calm down. And yep. then we'd have a ready-made list there that all of the students have contributed to. Then we say, right, your BMP, choose three things. When I am upset, I can go outside, yep. kick a footy, five minutes, then come back mm. in. And, and we'd actually name it. Now, at the unit we had enough flexibility within mm. our structure of the school environment yep. Yep. to allow the students to be able to do that. So yep. there were some kids that would put their music in and sit down and listen and sit in the corner for five minutes because our goal wasn't to get through the amount of maths we had to yes. do that day. It was, we need this kid to know what it feels like to stay in class for an entire session. Yep. So those five minutes where they calm down and come back mm. now my, a lot of schools kids are banned from using devices mm. like yep. um music on yep. their phones or going for a walk or go, for, yes. go and yes. get a drink yep. though yeah and so we said to them honestly when we had that list on the mm. board right you can't drink you can't smoke you can't do these things yep. you can't go down the street and run around the oval but here are things that are achievable mm. and so they had actually made that list and then they chose the things on the list that they could do to avoid this negative situation. And I think that's a way of giving choice mm. to them yeah. that allows them to genuinely have that interaction that you were indicating, yeah. but still staying within yeah. your school restrictions. I really like that. Like, and I think it gives students maybe even those words, you know, mm -hmm. to say, hey, like, I'm not doing so well now, you know, I need to go... You know, mm. I need to go out to the basketball court for five minutes, I'll be back, you know. But yep. I just think ha them having that outlet where there's so many times that you see a student have a meltdown, mm. you know, and things can go from, you know, great to really bad in such quick time. Mm. But for them to have to, for them even just to know that that's there and an option for them. Mm. Did you, when you, did you, I assumed you worked with teachers then when they'd go back yes. to the school. Did this ever come back into it? Because what I'd be Absolutely. really interested in, did were schools receptive to some of those ideas or the actions that you know of letting students go for a couple of minutes and calming down? Not all schools have a whole school approach to yep. dealing with things. Yep. Um, we found, I found it easier to work with people where there was a whole school approach where everyone was on the same page. Yep. But even within that, you get some teachers who are more invested than others. Um, a lot of teachers were interested in using this um, because it meant that they didn't have to spend their time fighting with the student. Mm. It gave them a way to let the kids learn without disruption. Yep. So, yes, they were largely receptive yep. to it, but not everyone. No. The article you mentioned earlier, authority, and I've sort of been flicking around desperately to find this section because <laughs> I thought this was interesting too, um, that article about power... He identifies three different types of power. So there's power over, which is the authority. It's, you yep. know, a lot of teachers, um, you know, want power over mm. the students. Um, talks about power within. So the idea it's sort of, you know, it's um, personal empowerment or 
And I'd say power within almost comes under what you're talking about, Daniel. It's mm. this idea that I have a set of strategies I can use yep. that help me de-escalate when I need to. Um, and the third is, is power with. So it's the idea that there's, only, there's certain things that can only ever be achieved in, in the world um, when we're working together and when there's a power yep. of a group. So... Um, Flying to the moon, for example, yes. that's, that's not one person's achievement. That's thousands of people's achievement that made that happen. Um, the internet is, you know, thousands mm. of people's achievement to you know, build and maintain. Um, yeah, so I like that way of thinking about it as well. That you know, sometimes yeah. different parts of power come into play. And the argument here is that the more we can move towards allowing students power within and power with, the yes. more invested they'll be in their mm. classroom activities. Um, what I do want to ask you about, though, is you've had this unique experience of having worked in a setting mm -hmm. that looks, mm -hmm. you know, almost purely at students' behaviour Yep. after having come from a mainstream setting and then you've come to work here straight after that. So you, yep. you never went back to the classroom, like a mainstream setting no. afterwards. Yep. Do you see things that you might do differently mm. as a result of your experience? I see so many things yeah. that I would do differently so now. Specifically, <laughs> yes. specifically that idea around setting um, setting uh, behaviour norms as a group. Yep. Are there things there that you see you would do differently? It's funny you picked that one because I'd actually say no. Okay. Because... And that's because of the way I did it beforehand, which so is I why you, I was chosen. So when I asked you if you wanted to do this podcast, you kind of made it sound like you had a good insight. No, no, stuff. I do, I do. <laughs> which is why I was employed at the unit because I had some good practices in place. Yeah. So they're not the ones that I saw personally that I needed to make a big difference with. Um, the the story you were telling before, Kate, about um, the kids know what they need to answer. Yes, yes. So, that that's something that I was really frustrated with a lot, particularly yep. with some of the people who I worked alongside. Yep. There were some of the, what people would call the rowdy boys that would get disruptive and they just couldn't sit still. So I distinctly remember one example where I pulled a kid aside and went, right, you already know what I'm going to talk to you about, don't you? And he said, yes. I said, do you need me to go through the script? He went, no. I'm going, right, what's the solution? And so then he started saying, well, this happened because... I said, okay, so how can we work together to make sure this doesn't happen again? In that moment, we both acknowledged, without saying the words, yeah. we know this is a usual yeah. thing that happens. Let's actually work together. So it's what you're talking about, working with, not being the authority figure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the more teachers are able to acknowledge this is how it happens the mm -hmm. kid the kids actually know what's meant to happen they're yeah. quite smart they yeah. know what the expectation is yeah. acknowledge it and say it so that you can then get it out in the open and address the issues and i think that's the thing that um your question what would i want to do more mm -hmm. those open yeah. conversations where yeah. you acknowledge the issues with the whole class yeah. Yeah there's so much more opportunity there to actually make things work better because then the kids have more opportunity to buy in and be part of the process and take ownership of whatever's going on. And Kate raised a really good issue earlier, which is that idea that it, it's something we do at the start of the year, this come up with a group of rules that the class agrees yep. upon, yep. but then it somehow 
disappears yeah. throughout the rest of the year. Was it something you were able to maintain through the course of the year, or do you feel like it? So one of the things at the unit that I would change, mm -hmm. we had, in our very first session, we talk about our underlying values. Yep. And there were six, and I won't remember them all now that I'm on the spot, but it was like fairness, responsibility, organisation, mm -hmm. uh, along those lines, honesty. And so we had them displayed all yep. around the unit. Yep. And so whenever there'd be an issue, we'd be talking about they had an argument at recess, and we say, right, which of our values do you have an issue with? And they say, oh, it's fairness. Mm -hmm. now, okay, that gives us a frame for our discussion now to resolve this issue. And I think when it comes to these classroom rules that you're yep. talking about, yep. Kate, you put them on a poster, you stick them up, mm. and every now and then you go, gee, it's too noisy in here, you're not following our rules, yep. and yep. you wave at them. Yep. Whereas having something like these six values that you can go, I have a problem, does anyone else think they know what the problem is? What one of these do you all think we have an issue with? That gives us a structure to have the conversation and address the issue yeah. rather than this, you're breaking the rules, Yeah, you know. I, I think um, last year actually, I we came up with a set of norms at the start of the year. So, you know, more positive angle of what should happen, you know, with the students in the class. And I think there was a moment throughout the year where oh, there was a few things happened that day and mm. my class ended up in quite a, might have been some issues outside and yeah. the whole class had just been completely different from when they walked in that morning. And so I actually pulled these um, norms down mm -hmm. and we rewrote, the, like we had a look at them and look at maybe what wasn't working. Mm -hmm. But then we actually rewrote a couple of them. But then I actually got all the students to sign them. Oh, a yeah. bit like, you know, which was quite, you know, to kind of say that they agreed with mm -hmm. it, and, you know. But then what we did um, for the next few weeks is actually then grabbed one or two off and actually focused on them as a class, yeah. mm -hmm. you know. And so that was something that I we really referred back to, yeah. but then everyone made an effort towards. And not even just the students, but even myself as the teacher to make sure that we were all, mm -hmm. you know, really demonstrating those particular, you know, either values or the norms in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And it was really valuable, actually, at, you know. The thing you've just reminded me, again, another thing I'd change. Most of the time I referred to our classroom rules was when they weren't working. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't often that I went, everyone stop, see our rules, you're all following it beautifully and we're all working wonderfully because I never wanted to interrupt the good work. Yeah. I know. But it's, it's that positive thing where you say, we're having a wonderful time here today and it's because we've followed our things that we've agreed, our constitution, whatever. I think that's something I changed to, to have more of that positive focus rather than yeah. we need to pull down the rules because you're all breaking them. Yeah. I think um, when I had the most success with this kind of thing was when it was it, it became part of my ongoing language that I'd use with the kids. Yep. So that's sort of what you're saying, Kate, the difference between putting it up on the wall and forgetting about it. Yep. And, and when you said you went back to it several times, yep. when it becomes part of the natural conversation like your values, Daniel. Mm. Um, and I always felt a bit corny having done it because, like I said earlier, I did it as a two-sided thing, a friends thing and a no friends thing. and Because I, I, I didn't want to just list a set of negative behaviours. Yeah. So I had this set of positive behaviours as well and I tried really hard to balance them out in number. Yep. But it became really difficult because <laughs> it's just easier to think of the hard things. So I'd yeah. just rack my brain. But once you've gone past say nice things and, you know, 
that's about it. <laughs> like, yeah. After that, you're really clutching at straws. But I would clutch at straws for the point of it. So it became useful even for, you know, oh, I've got no one to play with. Well, which of these nice things are you doing to people to encourage yeah, them yeah. to play with you yeah. would become part of the language well, as well. That reminds me of the um, what does a good listener do conversation yes. that I had many, yeah. many times. Yeah. And they'd start naming all of these things. Yeah. And so then you have all these positive things to yeah. highlight rather than you're not sitting up straight, yeah. you're not doing this. And it's the same kind of thing at a different level. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because we worked with different age groups. So I'd go to the point too of um, someone who seeks to repair a relationship. So yeah. if something's gone wrong, if you go and say sorry, you try and yeah. do something about it, that's actually in the good column because yeah. despite something having gone wrong, the fact you haven't abandoned, yeah. abandoned everything because of it, um, I, I think that sort of helped encourage yeah. that kind of behaviour as well. That was a key thing I tried to do and I had better language around that when I went to work at the unit yeah. Yeah. and it was... We had we had eight students at a time with four teachers, mm-hmm. so that's an indication of how significant the disruptions mm. could be. Yeah. Um, but right in the very first interview, we said to and uh, the very first day, we said, "We will give you goals. You will try to achieve them. We will help you improve your behaviour if you want that to be the case. We don't expect you to be perfect all the time. Yeah. We expect you to try." And I think that's that thing of trying to repair relationships, acknowledging some days you're going to have a bad day and some days it just won't work. But that doesn't mean that's the end of it. It's, all right, acknowledge today's a bad one. How do we make things better? Yep. So in trying to take something out of this, because at the beginning we acknowledged the fact that this is a bit of practice that a lot of people have Mm. and it's fairly common and it's not something that gets examined in a lot of detail. What do you think, you know, if, if, if you encourage people to change one thing about the way they run this process, what would be the one thing that you'd encourage them to do just even just slightly differently about the way they run the creation or maintenance of this list of class norms? Sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry. That was, yeah, the podcast hasn't broken. That's us thinking. Um, I think... The thing that challenged me most at the teaching unit was the fact that I was on display as much as the kids were. Mm -hmm. So we asked them to talk about what was upsetting them and what made their school life challenging. Mm -hmm. They asked the same of me as a teacher. And it was, I'm really frustrated because I'm trying to teach you this and you're mucking around. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have that discussion where... I, as the teacher, could acknowledge things that were upsetting me in that moment um, was an important thing. So I think if someone's going to try to change something, discuss the situation and talk about how they feel as well. Make make it seem that you're not just this authority figure coming in to enforce a rule. You go, I really want to get through this work. Here's the work I have to do. I'm annoyed that this isn't happening. How do you guys feel? And then you have a genuine discussion and you can pick a rule at a time to focus on. So almost acknowledge that you're part of the community as well, not necessarily the benevolent leader of the community. Yeah, not putting yourself down to I am your mate and we're going, but 
I have feelings and <laughs> that makes a difference to how we resolve this. So yeah. let's talk about yeah. it. We're a community, so we're going to work together rather than, yeah. yeah. And what about you, Kate? What do you think would be a, a good thing to focus on um, doing differently? I, I mean, look, I think if you're going to, you know, create some norms, I think maybe stating, you know, what you expect people to do in the classroom, not you know, don't do this, mm -hmm. maybe look more at the positive angle. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we walk safely around the classroom rather than don't run. Mm -hmm. But I think I agree with Daniel, you know, that I think you need to sit and work as a class and to make sure that everybody's on the same page and it's, you know, something that both the students but also the teacher should be able to work together, you know, and, and expectations are for everybody, not just yeah. for them versus us, you know. Um, I also think that referring back to it, you know, yeah. on a regular basis, you know, and, and like Daniel said earlier, not just in the negative situations where mm. you're having a really bad moment, but to actually go, hey guys, you know, we just worked really well then and have a look at up this, I'm really proud of you, you know, so I think that's really important to refer back to regularly. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that, Kate. I think um, this bit of practice is often done as a first week activity. Yeah. First week we get together and we agree on a set of norms whether or not that agreement's actually genuine or not. It's almost <laughs> another discussion, but you've sort of got my point on that one. Um, so it's a first-week activity that then somehow disappears into the ether and, you know, we, we just go about our work as normal. I think if, if I was to change anything um, about the way I do this kind of thing, it would be to make that decision and make part of that decision how we will revisit this. It's not just for this week. It's what is the language we're going to use around it in an ongoing way and how we're going to look back on this regularly and make sure it's something we continue to buy into, again, assuming we actually legitimately bought into it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so that goes back to our big question then, which is uh, how can setting class rules be more effective or most effective in the classroom? Does anyone have anything they want to add to that concept before we... So one of the first things I think people think with that is trying to get them to understand why the rules are important, mm -hmm. but yep. that's a thing that comes way down the track. It's how to make it more productive is that making them feel like their voice is heard yep. mm. and that they're not just turning up to have education done to them, mm. they're part of it. And so whatever a teacher can do to bring them in, their students into this conversation, yeah. whether it's negotiating activities in the curriculum mm -hmm. or behaviour in the classroom, it's have the discussion, put the framework around it, and then let them have some choice. Mm. And, and back to that power article we discussed yeah, earlier, absolutely. It's, it's do we go through the motions of this, mm. you know your role, I know my role, let's just skip that part and, and let's yeah, focus on what we can actually do that's, that's different to normal. And the six words, respect. That's the one it comes back to. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Thanks a lot for joining us today. No Thank worries. Um, and thanks, Kate. Yeah, thanks, Max. See you all again soon. The Teacher Learning Network podcast is hosted by Kate Chinner and Max Grarock. The Teacher Learning Network is the not-for-profit teacher professional development organisation that's supported by the Australian Education Union's Victorian branch and the Independent Education Union's Victoria Tasmania branch. We produce online and face-to-face -face professional learning opportunities for educators in schools and early childhood services. We also publish books, magazines and apps to support the education community. 
To view a calendar of our courses and find out more about our resources, please visit our website at www.tln.org.au. The Teacher Learning Network is a membership-based organisation. Schools and early childhood services join the TLN to support the individual professional learning needs of their staff. Once members, all staff can participate in our professional learning at no extra charge. To find out more about joining, visit www.tln.org.au forward slash join. If your school is a member of the Teacher Learning Network, you can produce a certificate recording your engagement with this podcast. These are great pieces of evidence for your professional learning records. You can generate a certificate by visiting www.tln.org.au forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback or input about the issues we've discussed today or any other suggestions for future podcasts. Please email any feedback or suggestions through to me via max at tln.org.au. If you like this podcast, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It helps us reach more teachers. Have a great day and you'll hear from us again in a couple of weeks.